Thank you for coming into the part two of this episode. Now, we're back here with Jillian Gallimore again. And for those of you who missed the part one of this, I would highly recommend you to go back to watch it. But not only that, I'll reintroduce her in case this is the first time that everyone is watching. And by the way, thank you so much for being with us once again. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be back. No, thank you for having you back again. So let me get into her bio one more time. Jillian is a founder of The Healthy Feline, a science-based and nutrition-forward virtual consultancy that is aimed at helping cats and their humans live better lives together. She believes that health begins with nutrition and she focuses her work on diet and behavior. Not only that, she employs force and fear-free training techniques while helping guardians manage things like litter box issues, aggression, excessive vocalization, destructive scratching, obsessive behaviors, obesity, and pickiness and all that good stuff. Just worked and volunteer in cat rescue for over a decade. And she has spent a lot of her time in her career that is rehabilitating under socialized cats. And that is in the Toronto, Canada area. So if we have anyone that's in the audience that's from Canada, woohoo! Yay, Canadians. And working with rescue groups and shelters, Jillian has rehomed about a thousand cats, dogs, rabbits, and birds, and reptiles. She lives with two cats, a greyhound and husband, who are all the loves of her life. So let's get right into it. Part two, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, let the interrogation start. Okay, so let's start with something rather lightweight first. So this is one of the questions that my community asks all the time. So we're going to put that as number one is what are some common misconceptions about cat behavior and how can cat guardians better understand their cat's needs? I know this is a very general question, but I just want to know what are what's some of the things that are the top of the chart from your experience? Yeah, it's a really great question. A lot of times we're putting our human emotions and tendencies onto our cat. So I find that we tend to say that our cat wants revenge or they are doing something to spite us or they they have some sort of cognitive ability that we have, mm. but they don't. Cats are, are highly intelligent, emotional beings, absolutely, but they don't think in terms of revenge or getting back at someone or something. So that I find that's the biggest myth that I hear. For example, my my cat peed in my luggage my suitcase when I moved or when I was going on a trip. So they're mad at me. And it's really not that it's usually your cat is stressed. Your Mm -hmm. cat is saying, I need to soothe myself. In order to do that, I need to put my scent in around this area to make me feel better. So to get into the mind of the cat, I think is really invaluable for the bond that we have with our animals and really, really emphasizes the fact that cats are not spiteful. They're not vengeful. They love you (laughs) in their own way. And I think that's really important. 
Oh, definitely. And I completely agree with what you say. And sometimes I kind of bicker with my friends and I say, do you pee on your parents' bed when you're mad at them? But yeah, it's just a joke. But that it is true. They don't have the same type of thought processes as we do. They don't see the world the same. They don't see us the same. If anything, it's a lot more simpler. And I know something that you talked about that's in relation to this is guiding cats' behavior a certain way, but without punishing them and not using a forceful way. Because a lot of people still revert to the classic punishment model, which Fortunately, it's getting discouraged more and more. So if you could tell us if there's any ways that we can guide our cat's behavior in a positive way by not punishing and not using forceful ways, that'd be great. We'd love to learn from that. Yeah, some of the common tactics that I hear a lot is you're using a spray bottle to spray water at your cat, or you've put like the spike sided up to deter your cat from going somewhere and that can hurt their paws or even just loud voices, clapping, anything that produces a fear response in your cat. You're trying to affect behavior. You're trying to get the cat to do something or probably you're trying to cat to get the cat to not do something. Right. And the issue of tying a cat to, or any animal, us too, to not do something is, okay, what do I do then? So in order to get past the, this is what I don't want you to do, we need to start teaching them new skills maybe, or even just, this is what I would like you to do instead. Mm -hmm. So rather than scratch your couch, <laughs> as an example, <laughs> let's scratch your post, your scratching post where I want you to scratch. So it's a lot about taking away the, I don't want you to do this and inserting, this is what I want you to do. So a lot of times that's teaching a new skill, training, and that it's just such a kinder approach to how we're interacting with our cats. Unfortunately, with deterrence, with, with tactics that tell our cats not to do something, a lot of the times can ultimately damage our relationship with our cats. It can increase stress. It can lead to distrust with your cats. Your cat no longer trusts you. It can lead to more tension in the household. So let's say you have 10 cats. It can be a high tent situation potentially between the cats. And then you're, you even have a disagreement with your partner and that ratches it up the, the tension. And then the final straw is, oh no, you've peed in my suitcase and now I'm yelling at you. And then mm. we're just in a high stress, high tension situation. I really like this saying that I've recently learned about there's cake in the fridge. So there's not literally cake in the fridge, but if we're in a high tense situation, let's say our cats are staring at each other or we're frustrated, all the normal, typical emotions that we all feel, rather than doing what we normally do, let's go have cake in the fridge. Let's go to the fridge and get some cake. So that, that could be you're having a little snack and then your cat gets a little snack and then you just, it's just a reset. It's just a nice sort of like way to reset the emotions, start again and reevaluate what's going on. Unfortunately, a lot of the times behavior is medical based. So there's a pain associated with the behavior. Using these deterrents, you're not addressing the underlying reason for it anyways. So that's my big overall take on punishments and deterrence and using high stress response. 
Oh, completely agree. I think you just actually summed up very nicely in a nutshell, because filtering the medical stuff aside, if they're acting out because they're not feeling good, that's understandable. But redirection works just as well. Sometimes it's not even, as you said, punishment, even in the human world, it backfires and it causes a lot of resentment. Whereas who can say no to bringing in a six pack of beer, right? Is let's change that subject and let's do some Netflix and beer. Same thing in the human world, right? You just reset that mood. Same thing for cats. Whip out the, the favorite toys and the favorite traits. We're good. Now, another thing is, how can a cat parent address behavior issues that arise from changes in the home environment, such as moving to a new house, such as introduction of new family members, new pets, new cats? What can we do to address those behavior? Hopefully it's transient, but it's pretty stressful when it happens. What suggestions do you have for that? Yeah, it's a really common occurrence. We all have change in our life. We go through transitions of whatever sort. It's very common. And then, and your cats, I don't know what happens. So it's really helpful to guide them through that process. If we're moving houses, I really like to start in one room first. I think of cats as agoraphobic. So they are afraid of big open spaces, especially when they don't know. You know, they don't know where their resources are. They don't know where the water bowl is or the litter box or what have you. They don't know where to hide. They don't mm. know their favorite spots yet. It's all a commotion. Yeah. So to start in a smaller room really tends to help them get used to that room. You can call it a sanctuary room. You can call it a safe room, whatever. And then they can expand their territory from there. So I really like to do that. And the amount of time in that one room really depends on the cat. It could be one day. It could be a month. Really depends on the cat. As long as they're eating well, they're using the litter box and they're interacting with you in the way that's typical for them, right? And they're asking to go out, great. They can explore the house at that point. So in terms of other sort of tips that I would have, How if about, we're like, talking new about members. Fire, new, yes, yeah, absolutely. New human members, new cat members, new dog members to have a separation, a choice to interact with that new member in whatever, whatever form that new member is really wonderful. So they have the choice to disengage. They have the choice to walk away or go into another room or they can approach the new member. With other animals, I would probably start them separately. And then there's like a couple of really great steps that you can take to introduce. A lot of it is scent-based. So we want to have scent exchanges between cats. We want to keep cats and dogs safe when they start to interact with each other. We want to manage that and supervise as much as possible. In terms of humans, I know a lot of cats like to use a human's bassinet. And it's it, you're like you're buying things for your baby, but it's you're buying things for your cat. <laughs> That's all scent based. The cat wants to put their scent on that item. So that, that can be fun until you have the baby, <laughs> in which case you might need to offer the cat somewhere else. But that's more specific. That's a more specific situation. You can also talk to your vet about anti-anxiety medications. You know, a really great combination is medication and behavior and training modification. So they work hand in hand. If you're going to do one of them alone, you won't be as effective unless you're using them together. So talk to your vet about potential anti-anxiety, anti-stress options. A lot of times, let's say your cat is really hates taking pills 
or you just can't get medicines done, there are transdermal options where you can put the medication on their ear. There's lots of different ways that you can start to train your cat to accept pills or liquids or whatever form the medication takes. So a cat behaviorist can help you with that. Your vet might be able to help you with that. There's some groundwork that you would have to do clearly, but there are options. I really do like the transdermal options for high-stress cats. We don't want to give our cat anti-anxiety medication that then makes their anxiety worse, right? So they're definitely, we want to help them through that process without adding to their stress. So that's, I think that's a really great option. Medication, sometimes people don't don't typically like to give their cats meds or they're hesitant or they've had a really bad reaction. That's where a conversation with your vet comes in handy. You can talk about the different options out there because it, it might, there might be a solution for you, for you and your cat yeah. that you might not have, a, have heard about yet. And then using that with, training, behavior modification, teaching them new skills is really effective. Those two together. Completely agree. I guess it depends on if they need it, but when they, some cats are just so anxious that giving them the medication probably is a better option. I'm not saying that it works for all cats. Some cats are probably okay just with the behavior modification or just with the sensitization or even just with things like feel away. But yes, you are right with some more extreme ones that sometimes the downsides of giving medicine will offset for that. Completely agree, but do talk to the vet. Now, another thing is, can you explain the concept of socialization? I guess that kind of falls under the behavioral things that people talk about. Now, this is specifically when we're talking about kittens, because you know how there's a golden period, a critical period when their socialization is developed the how many weeks and how many weeks. A lot of people don't really think about that too much. They just know that generally when you have cats as kittens, they bond with you easier, but that's really an overgeneralization. Can you talk a little bit more about the importance of that and what to expect? And also when we're adopting these cats during this period, can you just go into that a little bit? It's a big, that's a big question. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I Hopefully I'll keep on track, but with socializing kittens, we're typically in my experience in Canada and Toronto and Ontario, we typically are getting a four month old cat or so as the youngest, sometimes three and a half months. And that's a really great time to introduce your cat to everything it it will see as an adult in your household. Mm. So whether that's children or other dogs or the sound of the microwave, it's really great to start them young. And yeah. so they're more adapted to that particular trigger, potential trigger later in life, makes mm. your life a lot easier, makes yeah. their life a lot easier. What I would not recommend is something called flooding. Okay. And that's when you're putting yourself, your animal, whatever being in a situation where they are uncomfortable with the purpose of getting them to be comfortable. So let's say I'm really scared of spiders and I am put in a room full of spiders. Oh, that's too extreme. I'm not, yeah, I'm not gonna feel very good, but there will come a time when I'll think to myself and my brain will just be like, okay, this is my reality now. But I haven't learned anything new. I haven't learned that spiders are okay. I haven't learned that I'm okay but I have learned to not react to the spiders. So I've cut off my communication. So now I'm not gonna tell you when I'm uncomfortable. I'm just gonna deal with it. You're it's just gonna learn. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's something called learned helplessness. And yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> or you could also call it fawn. So you, we talk about like fight or flight response. And then there's also a freeze response and also a fawn response where it's all appeasement. So we're like cats will groom themselves or look away or their usual appeasement behaviors. And really it's because they don't know what's going on. They're uncomfortable yeah. and they haven't been taught anything. They know new skills. When I'm put in the room of spiders, I haven't been taught anything. Alternatively, we could do a situation where I see a spider from a distance that I am comfortable with. Let's say across the room, I'm fine with seeing a spider and I got a chocolate bar. Mm, I'm going to feel way different. (laughs) I'm going to feel way different about that spider if that keeps happening. If I keep seeing a spider and I keep getting a chocolate bar, I'm going to feel way better about that spider. And then eventually I'll get closer and closer to that spider and I'll feel comfortable with it. And then maybe I'll start to learn more about the spider and it's really cute and it has little spots and it's furry and it's, I know generally people hate spiders, so I won't get to, <laughs> I won't get any more descriptive, but it's, it's about bringing that cat into the position where they are comfortable and then testing at that boundary. Yeah. So you're finding that level in which they're open to learning new things, but they're not so scared and not so freaked out mm-hmm. that they're not going to learn anything and they're just going to deal with it. Yeah. So it's a very hard balance to create. I find a lot of times when I'm socializing kittens or when I have a, a under-socialized adult cat and I start to pet it and it's allowing me to pet it. But the question becomes, is it enjoying it or is it just learned helplessness? Yeah. Oh, yes. So, yes. Yeah. It's- that, that is very <laughs> important. A lot of people don't realize that there's a saying that we have in Cantonese. It's called sobat, meaning it means you've accepted your fate. You're just going to stand there and take a hit knowing you can't do anything. You become the target. The knife is coming. You can't dodge anymore. And you're like, that's kind of like the learned helplessness you were talking about. Completely agree. It doesn't mean that person's not afraid of flying knives. It just, they've just given up on life. Exactly. Now, elaborating a little bit on that. I know in all places, sometimes people would bring in an absolute feral cat thinking that they can socialize that cat. Can we just give a little quick blurb about it? I know that could be an essay in its own, but can we just have a quick little PSA that not all cats that we see are suitable to bring into the house because feral cats are not meant to be domesticated and they can't be domesticated. Can we go a little bit into that just so that people know that exists? Yeah, absolutely can exist. And this is the reality of domesticating an animal, but not necessarily taking care of it. And that's on us as humans. Not That was not an individual judgment. So we can absolutely have feral cats. I define feral cat as no different from a raccoon or a squirrel or a coyote or a wolf. You pick your favorite wild animal. They are not comfortable being around humans. They are higher stress in the presence of humans than with without. So I had a I work with something called Trap Neuter Return, which your mm. viewers might be familiar the TNR with. programs. In our programs, yeah. So we trap, we neuter them and then we release them. I get a lot of cats before they're released for assessment. And I mm. had one cat who gave me nothing. She just sat, she was recently spayed, so I had to give her some time, but she just sat there. Her pupils didn't change, her whiskers didn't change. The only thing that changed with her when I tried to approach her, and I only caught it on video, was that her breathing rate increased. So that's a stress response. So we ended up releasing her and she's way better off. She has a colony caretaker, she's protected, she's fed, she's good. So it can definitely be feral cats. 
we unfortunately we can't save them all, but what we can do is spay and neuter, spay yeah. and neuter. FTNR programs save lives, and that's uh, that's key. Completely agree. That's why a lot of times when we see the cat rescue videos, people are like, why is it so cruel that they put the mom back outside and kept all the babies? I'm like, no, that's because the babies still have a chance to get domesticated, whereas the mom is already feral. There's no way you can keep her inside with her being happy. That is not good. Completely agree. And that is something that people just have to, we just have to accept. Just because a cat is outside sometimes, it doesn't mean they're pitiful. It means they live outside. Like, for example, like Tarzan. Tarzan is supposed to be in the jungle. Right? If I bring Tarzan in my house, I don't think I don't think Tarzan's gonna be very happy. So just as a comedic example, but I guess everyone get the idea. Now you mentioned about the stress response. That's a question that I want to ask is how can cat parents tell if the cat is stressed out? You talked about one of them, which is the labored breathing, breathing faster. And that's part one of the question. What are some common signs and how can we help them get more relaxed? Can you just tell us a few pro tips so that we can be on the lookout? Yeah. So a big one is a, a, what I like to call the liquid cat. So the cat is slinking and low to the ground, trying not to be seen. Very, I'm not here. <laughs> don't look at me. I'm, I'm, don't exist. That is a stressed out cat. For mm -hmm. sure. Stress cases can also be more extreme in terms of really smelly poops. Oh. diarrhea, vomiting, oh. more of a physical response. They can also be big one is panting. Cat panting is a big deal. That's a big deal. And then if you have a cat that's walked on their floors and you can see a print from their pods, that's a stress. Sweating, right? Sweating. Yeah. Cats don't sweat like us. That's a very extreme case. And then urinating and pooping in the situation. Mm. An animal is so stressed that they're, if they are doing that, they are beyond. So yeah, we've got to really, that, those are all very extreme cases. If we're talking about household cats, cats who don't come out, they only come out at night when you're not around. Mm -hmm. They only come out when the dog's away or when the other cats are away, or a lot of times they're holding their urine. So they're not using a litter box because they're scared. And that can lead to other things like urinary tract infections and other medical issues. So you would have to be really in tuned to our cat's body language and learning yeah. cat body language is so key. Ears back, whiskers flared, pupils dilated, little scrunched up forehead. They're leaning back on their legs. They're trying not to be seen. All of those are classic signs of a stressed cat. You know what they say, but, right? Is it the Eminem song? These palms are sweaty. These weak arms are heavy. <laughs> these knees are weak, palms sweaty. Yeah. My mom, again, yeah. ears Yep, exactly. Yep. Vomited already. Mom spaghetti. Yep. <laughs> he summarized Perfect. it already. We should use that as a slogan. How to talk your cat stress. So in a nutshell, how can these be treated? Of course, medication yeah. is one of them. But before going into the medication, in a nutshell, how can they be treated? Just yeah. a few things about that. So number one is providing high places. Okay. and hiding places. So you got your purchase. Yeah. Just look at, <laughs> look at Melody's face. That is amazing to have, to use your vertical space like that, to get them up off the ground is hmm. so important. Oh, they're and so confident. You provide. Yeah, exactly. That's where they're most confident hmm. high up. Think of the Lion King and they're on their little, that little stoop, right? They want to, they want to see all the land that is theirs. Right. Hmm. And then I would also provide hide hole, hidey spaces or hidey holes. You have little cubbies, little covered beds. 
anything that they can choose. I'm going to go in here now and I, it's going to be me time. Mm. And that is so important. That choice. And actually That's speaking cool. of choice, consent is a big deal to make a cat feel more confident and to trust you. So if they're not asking to be pet and you pet them, <laughs> the trust might be broken or at least compromised. So we want to listen to our cat's needs, build up that confidence behavior by giving our cat the option to opt out or opt in. Yeah. And giving our cat choice and agency is so important. Think about yourself, right? If you could choose what to eat or you don't have a choice what to eat, how do you how would you feel about that? That's maybe not is best not the best terms. Yeah. There's so many choices that we already make for our cats. To give them choices as much as we can will really build up that confidence. Oh, for sure. You mentioned about some of the Heidi stuff, the confident up the super highways up there. That kind of answers half of my next question is environmental enrichment. Can we actually kind of give everybody kind of some hacks and some tips and tricks where, to, what direction to look at? A lot of people say, I got them these extravagant toys. They don't want it. They only want the box. You hear that as a joke. That's true. What are some things we can do for environmental enrichment? You said hideouts. That's one of them. High places. That's one of them. Any other stuff? Yeah, bird TV or cat TV is great. You have a bird feeder on your window. There's these great ones that suction cut to the windows. Oh, no, or the actual TV, but things for them to look at for entertainment. Ah, both. There's like cat YouTube mm. that you can go on yes. and have little, it's basically just birds. Yeah. <laughs> so you can absolutely do that on your iPad or whatever device. And then also do a, a bird feeder outside the window. Those are really great. Any sort of anything that your cat likes to do. So not just playtime and playtime is very important. Absolutely. Mm. But you spend time with your cat, brush your cat, read a book to your cat. However way your cat wants to spend time with you is enriching. Enrichment is such a broad topic. It covers all the senses. So mm. not only playtime and activity, but also brain and mental stimulation. So you could bring, well, let's say your cat is indoor only and you bring in some sticks from outside or your cat really likes to smell your shoes. So you go go for a walk and then let them sniff your shoes and mm. things like that. You you can create nose work. You can create nose work activities for your cat. So they're sniffing around. They're finding the tree. There's so many different things that you can do. That's really fun and increases the bonding between both of you. Oh. Clicker training is so much fun as well. That's a that's the definitely my number one clicker training. Stimulate the senses. Variety is the spice of life, as they say, which this leads me to the last question. What are some strategies for introducing a new cat into the household with existing cats? Now, when I say this, I'm assuming that people would probably already have a resident cat or resident cats. Do you have any good pointers for us who want to add more cats to the population? Can you give us some good quick pointers? and good starter guides and just some quick red flags to look for. Yeah, it's always so much fun to add a new addition and to get have our cats have a little buddy, right? I think the first thing is to address the stress of the incoming cat. Any change is going to be hard on a cat, right? So I do like putting them in a sanctuary room or a room by himself for as long as they need until they're using the litter box properly, drinking and eating and interacting with you in a way that's typical for that cat. And then the fun begins. And then you can start introductions. And first, first, first is scent. You want to do some scent exchanges. You can get a towel that your original cat has been on and give that to the new cat. 
and then do that with a different towel, but in the reverse. So they each get a chance to experience the other's scent. You can take an old toothbrush and wipe along the whiskers for the new cat. Give that to the old or old cat, the resident cat. Do that a couple of times and switch mm. them out too. So you can do that over and over again. You can even brush them and have the little tuft of fur and offer that to the resin cat and vice versa. Lots of different ways to introduce scent. Ooh. And then it's really a matter of supervised introductions. You can crack the door open of that sanctuary room. You can start to play under the door too. That's a really great way to introduce cooperative play together and how to interact with one another. That's before um, they get to see each other, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they start to associate these fun times with each other too. I know a lot of people like to feed around the door, this like barrier. I don't necessarily like to recommend that just because food is such a precious time for cats that I do like those private dining room situations that we have talked previously in the previous part. But that doesn't mean treats, 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 treats flying all around, having good positive associations with one another is really great in that initial meeting and yeah. keep things quick and positive and even just like a two minute session once or twice or three times a day until you get to know okay, how are they feeling about each other? Testing the waters and then maybe extend from there and go longer and longer. And I would have them supervised for an, until you trust that they know how to get along with each other. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're grooming each other, or sleeping with each other or anything like that. But it could just mean that no one's attacking another one or no one's bucking the other one or they can coexist in, in a nice, calm way. So there's no really expectations of them to be cuddling and be best friends immediately. It might count, that would be amazing. But I think having those initial interactions be positive will set them up for success. And what are some signs that the cats are not getting along? Yeah, I think we can all catch the more obvious signs of two cats not getting along. Fighting, mm. fur flying, yowling, all that. Mm. The more subtle ones are, I think, where maybe some of us can trip up. It's really important to look at the pathways in between your resources. So let's mm. say you have one hallway and your litter box is at the end of that hallway. Yeah. And one of your cats just sits in that hallway. What is that other cat going to do? <laughs> right? He's not going to, you know, challenge this other cat to go down to the litter box, right? So it's going it, to come out. Lead to yeah, exactly. They're going to wait until that cat leaves before they use the litter box. So these small sort of logistical pathway situations mm. can really trip us up and lead to conflict. So in that same example, let's say we put another litter box where there's multiple entrances and exits. There's multiple litter box options on every floor. Mm. Let's say there's a litter box in every room. There's The conflict is going to decrease immediately because they're not going to have that opportunity sure. to butt head. Yeah. So we've got your same problem. Oh see yeah. Right here. Yeah. See, do you see this cat tree right here? And do you see that space yep. underneath my desk? My litter boxes, because we live in an apartment, all there's nine here and one in the bathroom and they're all stacked up like Tetris. Not the most ideal, but because they're open-ended at the bottom and the ones at the top are top loaders. So the ones that are confident can use the lidded ones if they want. And the not so confident ones use the ones at the bottom, but the problem is the path. So as soon as I dug out all the stuff that was under my desk, the bully cat can be blocking down there so they can bypass them and go in between here or just jump across and jump over them if they want. So instead of putting a litter box somewhere else, 
I actually made another super highway for them to just detour and just dodge that cat. So you're right. It is that path. Yeah, absolutely. That could be also water bowls and food. I like to always feed my cat separate if possible. So if it's high or in another room or on a schedule, that's private dining rooms is the ideal situation. <laughs> and, for sure. and it really reduces any tension. For sure. I think for the main symptom or main sign that you could look for if your cats aren't getting along is staring and really higher management for those situations. So you we want to interrupt that staring. You can do that with chopping some treats or going to the fridge for some cake. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love that one. It's so good. So you, you can just break it up by even just standing up or walking in between them. The main thing, though, that I will end with is safety. You want to make sure that you are safe, number one, and then the cats are safe. So if you want to have like a laundry basket handy, so you can just pop that on the one of the cats or a heavy duty blanket if you need to just drop the towel on one of them. We want to make sure that we are safe. If we're grabbing a cat that's in the midst of an attack or really high stress, they're really tense and we're getting in the way, we're going to get hurt. So we got to protect our thoughts too. And I think you touch on quite a few things. I also hear all the time. One is people can't really tell the difference between play fighting and actual flight fighting. So I always tell them if no, if there's no hairs flying around and there's no actual bloodshed from biting or whatnot, then generally it's not too bad, right? That's how they learn sometimes their boundaries. Of course, you have to supervise it and you have to really learn what's happening. And second of all, you mentioned about the scent swapping. That's something that I did too when I had a cat that was coming in and she was just hissing at everybody. So after the body check and everything, I took like their favorite meat, the creamy, the cat snack. And then I was like, okay, you guys on the other side of the door, you'll take a few licks, take that. Then you take a few licks, you take a few licks. And then by the time they see each other, they're so familiar with their scent and they didn't even need a barrier. It's just, they're like, yeah, I, I had some of your food before. So that was pretty cool. And you also said one thing that I thought was very important. And I think a lot of cat parents should know is that Cats don't have to be absolute besties with one another, just like we don't have to love or like anybody we don't want to. Sometimes just being okay with one another may be the best I could ever get, because don't forget, we're the one that's domesticating them and putting them in the same household. If they're not going to be besties, they're not going to be grooming or sleeping with one another, but they're okay. They're not going to fight through like, hey, yo, just that's cool. And I just thought that's something that a lot of people have to think about because they always idealize it. They're all going to sleep together. They're all going to welcome you with open arms. I'm like, do you do that to all your friends? Yeah, it's these, these like movie sort of expectations that we get, right? Like, of course, we want our cats to get along. Of course, we want the cuddling and the cute pictures and how they like form a little heart together. That's the dream. Exactly. But it doesn't necessarily happen all the time. And that's okay too, right? We'll love them no matter what. <laughs> yeah. And of course, when it comes to introduction, being gradual is the key. There's a million ways to do it. But I think the essence is to do it gradually and to be safe. Make sure that we're safe make sure that they're safe. And looking at time, it seems like well, we're good for this episode. I would love to invite you back in the future for our second or third season of our episodes. But I just want to say thank you so much for all the insightful sharing. We learned so many things from you on behalf of our cat community. And of course, me. 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. I hope you got a little bit of tidbits and a little bit of strategies and tips. And yeah, I'd be happy to come back. Thank you so much. Thank you so much once again. And here, that's a wrap. And until the next episode, everyone, don't forget, like, comment, subscribe for more useful information from our cat experts. Right, that's it. That's a wrap. I'll see everyone soon. Meow.